Hi, I'm Linda McGlasson with Information Security Media Group, and today we're speaking with one of the leaders of innovation and pioneer in information security. Wyatt Starnes is a household name for those of us who have been down in the information security trenches. He's the founder of Tripwire, that tool that we all love for host-based intrusion detection. Wyatt spent nearly has, has spent nearly 30 years in high technology with eight different startups. He is currently the chairman and chief executive officer of Cygnusert, Inc., a newly established company focusing on commercial work in the trusted computing area. In addition, he is co-founder of RAINS, the Regional Alliance for Infrastructure and Network Security, a nonprofit public-slash-private alliance formed to accelerate development, deployment, and adoption of innovative technology for homeland security. Prior to joining Cygnusert, he was the founder, president, and CEO of Tripwire, the world's leading provider of change auditing software. Wyatt has also held executive and director positions for Infinite Pictures, Eclipse Technologies, Trisys, Megatest, Data General Corporation, Monolithic Memories, and Maroman Integrated Circuits. He's also a member of the National Institute of Standards and Technology, or NIST, and Visiting Committee on Advanced Technologies, VCAT, on the advisory board for the Portland State University Massey College of Engineering and Computer Science, and a member of the Oregon Executive Council of the American Electronics Association. He also sits on three, three boards, including the Swan Island Networks, Com Comprehensive Intelligence Technology Training Corporation, and the Symbium Software Company of Ottawa, Ontario. Hi, Wyatt. Hello, Linda. Um, I, well, well, let's get right down to these questions that uh, I've got for you. Um, are we in information security becoming too complacent? I mean, we have a, a lot of zero-day threats, 100,000 node botnets hitting us, virus threats, and all things like that. And those of us in information security, you know, look at the situation and think that this is normal operating procedure. And are we, are we getting too complacent? I think, I think we are too complacent, and I actually think we've been... Um overly uh, um, sort of uh, uh, complacent um, and self-secure, self-assured for actually quite some time. Um, when you kind of zoom back and look at some of the physical uh, threats in our world, um, specifically um, the tragic events of September 11, 2001, where, where we found we were dramatically exposed to, 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 to physical harm within our own boundaries, I think I think in in the cybersecurity world we haven't really seen our September 11, 2001 yet. We 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 are exposed. Uh, we continue to be exposed, and uh, information technology is prospectively a, a, a an important um, new attack vector um, for us um, in our industry and in our economy and, and and frankly in our political system as well. Okay. Um, going going on that same line, um, you, you mentioned the 9/11 uh, for the cyber or the internet community. What what would you consider uh, some scenario of that? Well, I think we've we've already witnessed some. Um, 
I would consider somewhat modest scenarios that, that have to do with um, denial of service attacks against um, you know various um, both government and commercial entities um, that have um, uh, certainly interrupted um, the ability of those um, those entities, those businesses, to, to actually conduct business. Um, I think that um, we're still um, exposed to those types of things. We're also seeing um, an increased sophistication uh, in, in the type and level of um, attack that that, that um, the industry's you know been witnessing for years. I think you're seeing more um, professional level, if you will, or more organized attacks uh, that are in the form of, of, of phishing and, and, and various other identity-based uh, attacks that all exploit um, uh, a lot of the technology that we've built uh, over the last um, several decades, uh, the connectivity that we have, the distribution of the compute systems. Um, um, and they essentially exploit in many in many ways uh, sort of the notion that we're connected and therefore we're trusted and and can be trusted, uh, which is an assumption that is very very dangerous. All right. Um, in a similar line, I mean, we're talking about uh, trusted networks. Um, you, you're one of the leaders and founders of Reigns, and I, I know that you've, you've been a p proponent of shared information between the private and public sectors. Um, mm -hmm. How would, how do you see how we're how are we doing in terms of the information sharing, uh, especially in regards to, uh, say, government and the financial services industry? Uh, well, uh, in that particular example, government, financial services, and industry. Um, you know that is actually one of the areas where where we have advanced fairly well. I think government has has certainly realized the um, potential risk and dangers of of um, being highly um, polarized or sectored in terms of information sharing between financial services and government activities. Our our economy obviously depends very strongly on um, the trust and stability of our financial services institutions. So actually the cooperation there under things like um, financial services, ISAC, and, and, and other institutions has, has come along quite well. Um, also in the telecommunications area, frankly, uh, uh, government's played a very important role um, in, in that, in the traditional analog uh, sense, in other words, the traditional telephone system of I can pick up a phone and call across the country on an analog line and connect with somebody, and there's redundancy built into that, and, and, and there's been a lot of government oversight in the standards and mechanisms and procedures. I think the challenge we face in, in uh, the telecommunications industry and, and to a certain extent the financial services is we're switching from analog now to um, Internet protocol communication, um, which has um, a whole different set of challenges. Um, so I think we're lagging behind uh, in our ability to, 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 to really cross-communicate um, some of those challenges between industry and government, um, set new standards that are, that are IP or Internet protocol-based standards, 
uh, and, and understand where the new risk and exposures are as we move from the traditional analog infrastructure to the to the digital infrastructure. So we have work work to do there. Uh, Reigns was formed um, to help um, both articulate some of those issues and problems, um, which I would really class in two vectors. There, there, there are social issues um, that impact um, the desire and method of information exchange, and there are technical issues. Um, uh, both of those are very, very important challenges, uh, and both of them require um, new thinking and, and new ways of looking at the problem. Uh, I think both in the physical world and now the cyber world, we realize that the risk associated with not addressing these and, and getting some of these sector boundaries, communicating, communicating well against these major problems, the risk is is very, very significant. We're, we're, we're potentially missing major information exchanges where one sector is seeing something that could dramatically impact another sector, whether it's government to, to private or private to private. Um, we've got to get better at sharing that information and making it uh, useful and actionable on a faster basis. Especially in regards to uh, some of the different types of emerging threats that uh, different industries are seeing within their industry that will eventually move into others, correct? Absolutely, absolutely. If you really were to look at the, 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 the surface area um, of our attack vectors where we potentially are exposed, again, just now speaking on the cyber, from the cyber side, um, it's it, it, it's massive, and 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 there are some um, Achilles heel um, elements of that. In other words, there are some significant um, target vectors that, if if somebody really wanted to come at us hard, um, you know, finding those target vectors where we're highly exposed would would frankly not be that difficult. So. We need to work better uh, as an industry um, and as a uh, an overall society, government and private, to understand the common risk associated with with that exposure. Moving moving on, um, you're a member of NIST, and can you maybe explain to our audience some of the things that you've been involved with, and how long you have been on NIST? Sure, I would be happy to do that. Um, uh, as probably most of your listeners know, uh, NIST is the acronym, as you as you said in the intro, for the National Institute for Standards and Technology. Um, it is one of the oldest federally um, backed, federally funded um, uh, research and development and standards organizations. It traces back into the um, late 1800s, early 1900s, um, and is an amazing organization, uh, frankly. Um, it is involved, uh, really, if, if, if anyone were to look around whatever room they happen to be sitting in today, um, there's almost uh, nowhere that you could look in the room where you wouldn't see something that has been impacted by the National Institute of Standards and technology. Uh, it's things like uh, certainly weights and measurements. Um, you know what? What is a pound? Um, you know 
what is a foot or what is a meter, what is a bolt, um, you know, how do you, how do you precisely measure that, um, you know, compositions of materials, um, you know, they're heavily involved, NIST itself is heavily involved in, in um, the green movement, making sure that the, the things that we're building are, are safe, not only for consumption, for, but increasingly safe for our environment. So it's it's a very interesting organization, um, a really an amazing organization. I'm involved um, in the, uh, the visiting committee um, on advanced technology, acronym VCAT. Um, that's an appointment um, only committee. Um, there are currently, I believe, 14 of us. The, the legislation that created. The VCAT process calls for a maximum of 15 members. Um, we're, we're almost at that maximum maximum now. It is a very esteemed um, group of, of colleagues that I'm involved with that cover a number of different areas from from uh, biosciences to to physics uh, to to other types of, of, of weights and measurements and, and areas. We're all out of private sector. Uh, for the most part, there are a couple of, of academia uh, folks involved as well. Um, I'm extremely pleased to be involved. I've been involved. Uh, we, we serve three-year terms um, where there's a um, opportunity to, uh, at government discretion to serve another uh, three years. NIST uh, is um, a, a reporting agency up through the Department of Commerce. Um, that may be news to some of your list- listeners. Um, uh, given that they are a very large and influential organization, um, a lot of people don't know that they were created and really are managed by the Department of Commerce. Uh, the primary mission of NIST is uh, fundamentally to use standards and technology to um, minimize or reduce the friction um, related to um, economic transactions, whether they're financial or, or medical or or uh, transportation, or even information technology. Um, you know, it, so it's all about what can we do, what can the government do to help industry work better together. And standards um, have proven to be an incredibly important part of making commerce work well. Uh, the interchangeability uh, um, of, of items, the cross-compatibility of items um, is, is incredibly important. My appointment, again, was about two years ago. Um, my activities have been, uh, given that I come out of the information technology um, space uh, and have spent the bulk of the last uh, 30 years of my career in information technology and high technology in, ge- high technology in general, my, my, my focus has been around the measurability science uh, relating to information technology. Um, uh, NIST traditionally has viewed the world and, and, and industry in general has viewed the world as measurement is something that um, you have to be able to, you know, physically see or weigh or 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 somehow, you know, um, create a mechanism to, 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 to actually quantify it. So the question really is, is information technology, quote, measurable? And if it is measurable, then um, what is government's role in creating standards around that measurability? 
where the goal, again, is consistent with the overall NIST goal, which is um, improving commerce, improving um, the social trust involved with electronic transactions. So that's a range of transactions from banking to um, things like electronic voting. Um, how do we actually create the social and technical trust that will compel people to feel comfortable in entering their votes on an electronic voting kiosk that is network connected and all rolls back up to some compute system in Washington to our grandchildren will likely be even entering their votes on their on their personal compute devices, whether they're PDAs or, or, or laptop computers. Now, that may sound very simple, um, but in, in practice, the social and technical issues related to that are, are uh, huge. So those are the types of projects that we're involved with. Um, and that I really appreciate that answer. That's a very well-thought-out answer. In in terms of we were you were talking about the we're going back to the threats. What would you say is one of the largest or biggest uh, information security threat facing the uh, internet community this year? Well, the, the the biggest threat facing the internet community this year is the same one that was facing the internet community community last year and the year before last and and five years past. If you if you if you look at the way the information technology industry has evolved, it's it, it's really fascinating. Um, <clears throat> it's a relatively young industry um, by other standards. You know, if you look at the aircraft industry or the financial services industry in terms of banking and insurance. <clears throat> IT as an industry is really pretty young, but it's moved, um, you know, at, at, uh, at, at a hugely rapid pace, um, largely uh, driven by technology-centric people, people that are really coming from, from the technical point of view. So our ability to actually innovate technology um, has actually, uh, in many ways, outstripped our um, ability to manage the technology we're creating. Um, that's actually not unusual, uh, Linda. That's that's occurred in other industries before. Uh, it's it's in, uh, occurred in the transportation industry where we were able to fly planes, get them into the sky, and, and, and then we realized that. Um, you know they could crash fairly easily if we didn't have best practices and 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 procedures in place and 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 in trains and in telecommunications and 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 in a lot of other industries. So what we're seeing in in information technology is really in a very high highly time compressed form the same sort of technological and social evolution that we've seen in other industries before, where we've gotten ahead of ourselves. So the biggest sort of exposures we have today is we have built systems that actually have inherent and innate um, um, imperfections and, and instabilities and security issues. And then we've created aftermarket uh, industries um, in the in the form of uh, antivirus vendors and intrusion protection software technologies, 
and in, and some of my prior companies, Tripwire, that essentially become add-on safety mechanisms to, to, to the hardware and software systems that we've built. And we've made a lot of assumptions about the way we build those systems. We, we assume a perimeter, uh, and therefore we assume that if we protect ourselves at the perimeter, <coughs> we can increase the reliability, safety, and security of these devices. Well, if you think about it, um, the perimeter is becoming highly diffuse. Um, where is the perimeter anymore? It used to be at the, at the physical walls of our building. Well, now we have um, our employees taking uh, uh, their computers home, and we have, you know, millions of people operating compute devices off of wireless remote ter- terminals in the form of Blackberries or Palms or whatever the device that they might be happen happen to be using. So we've we've made a whole bunch of assumptions um, relating to how we can secure this this um, new technology that. Um, Many of those assumptions really don't hold anymore, and so we need a better way. We need a different way of thinking about the problem, um, and, and I think that's really the, the exciting thing that's going on in information technology these days. We cannot, we can no longer assume that the old methods of solving the problem are going to work in the future. We need a different and new way of looking at the, at the, the problem symptom uh, relationship. Okay, well, it, going back to, you mentioned your uh, Tripwire uh, mm-hmm. experience. Going back to your days at Tripwire, did you ever envision that uh, that company would become such a big name? And, I mean, you I was looking at the site yesterday. They still say that they have, like, 250,000 active copies in use. So Tripwire is really up there in terms of uh, usage. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm sure, actually many in our audience are using it now. Mm-hmm. Um, what what direction uh, would you see that uh, Change Audit is taking in terms of when we're talking about the, the expanded <coughs> perimeter in uh, a lot of the companies that uh, we're operating in? Well, great, great question, Linda. Yeah, we're, we're very proud, actually. I'm very proud personally of what Tripwire has accomplished. Uh, I believe the number they're referring to is 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 in excess of a quarter million commercial copies, and that's on top of what is probably still a pretty robust uh, open source or academic source release community. So, it is likely one of the the most highly deployed uh, change management, change detection, intrusion um, um, assessment uh, mechanisms in the marketplace. Uh, now, I, I really attribute the success of, of that to, number one, a really good team and a, and a good core um, technology approach that that dates back to the early 90s where Professor Eugene Spafford at, at um, Purdue University um, worked on some of the original technology concepts with Gene Kim, who's, who's the, still the chief technology officer over at, over at Tripwire. But... I think what really makes it valuable it is 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 that it is a very um, new approach to the problem. Uh, I mean, it's not new in the marketplace anymore, but it takes a a different approach than the traditional antivirus approach. Uh, and let me expound on that a little bit. Um, traditionally, information security is about keeping the bad stuff 
um, out of the environment, right? Um, trying to create these these tall, deep walls so that, that so we can protect what we assume to be good systems within the walls uh, by keeping the bad stuff on the other side. And this is this sort of perimeter-centric view that that I talked about. Um, Given that the, the per- perimeter is, is not um, defined like that anymore, um, the net effect is you need to move um, t- detection and prevention much closer to the compute device itself, which is what Tripwire does. Tripwire really is a mechanism that runs on the particular device itself, the, the laptop, the server, um, the, the routing device that actually um, understands what the device um, uh, should look like when it's when it's in a presumed trusted state, and then resamples it on some periodic basis and looks for changes from that expected or desired uh, trusted state. Uh, we use uh, Tripwire uses cryptographic hashing mechanisms to do that, which is you know fancy terminology for essentially. You know, shorthand checksum kinds of mechanisms that allow you to identify complex data structures in a very shorthand way. So it's a very powerful mechanism of understanding the initial trusted state of a machine and then revalidating it, looking for changes. But it's coming much more from an inside-out point of view as opposed to the traditional outside-in um, protective mechanisms that, that most of the security companies have provided. Your your most recent company, uh, Signacert, is involved in the trusted computing movement. Uh, could you maybe take a few minutes and explain uh, to those who don't know what the trusted computing movement is all about and uh, what are some of the directions it's taken as of late? Oh, sure. I would be happy to. Um, the trusted computing movement, um, uh, Movement, if you will, or the groups that have been involved with this, and there there are many. The 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 the, the best known is probably the Trusted Computing Group, which is a um, a, a consortium, a consortium or alliance of companies that in, include Intel and Microsoft and Sun and and many others. Um, the, the whole notion was formed around um, this idea of we as platform providers and we as software providers, vendors essentially to the end-use community, need to do a better job ourselves of making sure that our machines um, can be managed more effectively, that have more innate um, uh, trust um, and security mechanisms built in. So to create an analogy, uh, I mentioned that there are parallels between the IT industry and other industries. In the early days of the automobile industry, many of us remember when seat belts were optional uh, and then when airbags were optional. And now, um, you know, if you look at, at today's marketplace, um, you know, our children thankfully and fortunately are very used to getting into the car and fastening their safety belt, and they're very used to the notion that the airbag is there. So safety has become, and security of the devices, has become a competitive factor. It's become, you know, much more implicit in the design of the device and 
much more expected uh, by the users, uh, the, uh, the automobile users. You know, safety is, is, is not considered an option anymore. It's, it's, it's a requirement. In much the same way, information technology is following that same route. In other words, the, the supply side, the vendor side is saying, we can no longer um, push the cost and the exposure of uh, some of these inherent um, uh, risk parameters that, that are somewhat by design in our, in our IT systems. We can no longer push that cost and that aftermarket requirement out to our customers. We need to take more responsibility for it ourselves. Now, in order to do that, um, one of the social aspects or cultural aspects of that is that you've got to get uh, companies that are normally competing with one another to actually cooperate to create common standards and common framework to allow um, these um, uh, safety best practices to be uh, designed into the platforms. Uh, Because from a uh, customer standpoint, they don't want to think about a different form of, of, of security or safety from XYZ platform vendor, which is different than the other platform vendor. So, so standards becomes a really critical element of, of building more uh, highly trusted system environments, more secure system environments. So we've been heavily involved in that process with, with many of the other companies I've mentioned uh, for several years. Um, we've, we've contributed a lot of technology in terms of best practices and specifications, especially as it relates to tripwire-like mechanisms, integrity management mechanisms, software measurement mechanisms, um, how do you measure software, uh, and how do you create collections uh, of, of the measurement of software so that a system can actually validate that it is a trusted system. Uh, and make that more implicit in the system design and not an aftermarket add-on or a, or, or a, a customer responsibility. So the Trusted Computing Group is really, um, I think, doing a, a very good job in a very complex environment of, of creating both technology and social bridges that allow more inherently trusted systems to come to market. Okay, and you know this is going to be the other uh, question to follow up. Um, the the trusted computing movement is and has been somewhat controversial in certain camps. Uh, how how do you answer the critics of trusted computing as to the loss of individual users' privacy? Well, that's a, also a great question, and and um, being as heavily involved in the working group processes and the and the organizational structure for many years, I can tell you that those of us that are working on the, these technologies and methods um, spend um, some percentage of every day thinking about uh, that concern. H- how do you how do you create um, more um, secure and inherently uh, trusted machines without um, losing the privacy that uh, uh, that that consumers uh, not only expect but demand, right? Um, and, and there are some there are some very good ways to do that. Uh, number one is uh, customers themselves, the users uh, of the machines, can decide what level of of um, trust. Um, that they want to employ on their individual systems. Um, 
the, the suppliers of the machines do not force uh, customers to divulge private information off their machines. They do not force customers to take the individual um, machine identifiers um, and link that with the software and the activity that's happening on that machine and provide that to vendors. Um, uh, so we've built a lot of flexibility into the architectural uh, method to protect uh, privacy. But the fact of the matter is, is there is a very um, hard um, trade-off that one has to make between um, convenience um, and, and ultimately security. Um, back to the physical world, um, none of us like um, going through the metal detection machines and, the, and uh, all of the, the uh, TSA practices that came in after September 11th. Uh, you know, our kids will never remember the day where you just got your ticket out, walked directly in, and got on the plane. Uh, but we had to give up uh, a certain degree of flexibility in order to protect um, ourselves. And, and uh, we're following the same premise uh, in the trusted computing uh, space. You don't have to give up 100% of your privacy uh, at all. In fact, your privacy is very well protected in the methods that are developed. But we're providing a much higher degree of safety and security and, and, and reliability of systems. So, um, I, I think you can find a, a balance there. I think um, customers at the end of the day will help vote where the right balance point is. Um, the trusted computing group effort is not dictating um, uh, a, a, you know, that you have to give up certain privacy rights in order to make this work. We're building highly flexible mechanisms that will allow certainly enterprises that have a lot at stake uh, to manage to a much uh, better set of implicit trust and, and, and inherent um, security in their systems. So we see it much more as a shift of responsibility than anything, um, you know, where, where we, we as an industry have pushed those costs and that responsibility largely out to our end customers. We're now beginning to assume a lot of that responsibility ourselves. And obviously, uh, the trusted computing movement uh, will help improve information security at financial institutions and for their customers. Um, in closing, Wyatt, do you have any uh, parting advice for the information security professionals out there in uh, financial institutions? Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Um, I, I would um, strongly encourage uh, the managers and system administration and and the whole IT um, management infrastructure to begin to look at the problem of information security with a with a with a new set of, of, of paradigms rather than just looking at how do we defend our systems which is certainly a security um, um, issue and a privacy issue as we've discussed it's also an economic issue uh, when you look at the cost of managing complex information technology um, 
the number of people we have assigned for the number of computers that we're managing, our efficiency levels are exceptionally low when you compare them with other industries. So we need to find new methods. So I would strongly encourage uh, your listeners to um, set aside the, the privacy concern on, on the trust computing side for for just a moment. Don't let it go, but set it aside. And then look at some of these new and evolving um, implicit um, built-into-the-machine trust methods that are coming along because not only will they improve your uh, security and, and uh, 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 your system reliability, they will begin to dramatically improve your operating efficiencies and your uh, business agility. Uh, and in the financial services and banking community, business agility uh, without giving up security and privacy and some of the compliance requirements is becoming a competitive factor. So new methods are required. New methods are coming. Um, we're going to have to let the old methods go uh, or substantially reduce our dependence on the old methods and embrace some of these new methods as they, as they come to market. Okay, Wyatt. Well, thank you so much for joining us here today on our podcast series, and we'll look uh, for more great news coming from you in the future. Well, thank you, Linda. I appreciate the opportunity to speak with you.